This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Amanda. Jordan. Jason. All right, cool. That's that's some real Mickey Mouse Club energy, and I love it. (laughs) Can that just be our intro this week? Is just (laughs) (laughs) the the three of us clapping and then... Saying our names. Up to you guys. We're rolling. I'll let you do it. <laughs> well, uh, then, welcome back, disaster divas. You may you may have just heard a bit of a, a cheer squad intro from us, or you may not. Producer Jason, that is up to his discretion. Um, but we are back. It is I, Jordan Cruciola, and I, Amanda Smith, uh, and we are discussing really. Really, something we are discussing um, a two was this year two thousand, Amanda? Yeah, this is from the year two thousand, so we're practically vintage at this point. Yeah, year two thousand special on hostile ground, made which, made in conjunction with TBS, I believe. Okay, okay, that that well, kind of makes sense about this. It sort of it looks like television. It looks like it just it's shot in that way that looks like an episode of TV, so that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and it was, is his name John Corbett? Oh, yes. John Corbett, starring John Corbett as a geologist, never doubt the geologist, who is very concerned about a series of um, growing sinkholes beneath the city of New Orleans. And guess what? I bet you didn't. It's Mardi Gras time. So not only is the city in peril in especially high volume, of locals and visitors are in peril. And, you know, the city is in danger of being uh, falling into the earth. Bad times. And if yeah. you if you find this on Amazon, which that's the route I went, um, it is available exclusively uh, in the Spanish dub. So I watched the Spanish dub of On Hostile Ground with English subtitles. This movie does have two, one star based on two reviews, it looks like, from the aggregation on the Amazon interface and you know I don't know we'll get to how many towering infernos I feel about this later but uh Amanda how uh what how's your sense of hostile on hostile ground so yes it's only on almost all the streaming platforms it's available only in Spanish yeah inexplicably I did not know that there was a Roku app um but I found it and there's the Roku app has it in English so that's how I watched it because I watched like the first 25 or 30 minutes of this movie, and I realized I was not going to be engaged enough to read subtitles. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no objection to reading subtitles, but I have to want to stare at the screen the whole time to do that. Right. This isn't Parasite. Yeah. I So not quite where I was at. I was not at Parasite levels of engagement with this. Right, exactly. And so I uh, I wound up finding it in, in an English I almost said English dub, which no, in the original form. Yeah, yeah, the, in the original English. In the in the native language, and I used <laughs> yeah. my rudimentary translation skills to understand what was happening. Um, and 
then I and basically my my suspicion was confirmed. This was not going to be an engaging enough movie to um, to keep me reading, reading or staring at a screen. Right. Gotta say, when you when you give me the premise of the entire city of New Orleans might fall into the ground. Mm -hmm. I'm in. I mean, I and it stars John Corbett and Brittany Daniels in 2000, which is which is a pretty good time for John Corbett and Brittany Daniel. This is this is this is prime John Corbett ness. I was so ready for like self-effacing, charming John Corbett, which is not the John Corbett we got. No, it's really not. It was not, and I think in you know, and that was just to to roll right into it. um, I think the biggest failing and reality issue I had mm-hmm. was how deeply unwilling like the character seemed to be engaged in anything that was happening and yeah yeah like okay so giant sinkholes have opened up and when I say giant sinkholes we got to talk I guess first I want to say when you say giant sinkholes in New Orleans you think peril and then you see the giant sinkholes and you're like well I understand logically I, did you have this issue, Jordan, as I was watching it, and then they'd reveal the sinkhole, and it would be like a 20-foot deep sinkhole. And I understand logically why that would very realistically cause problems within a city. Totally. And lead to death and destruction. But when we've been watching so many films where it's like Stonehenge becomes a nuclear bomb. Right. This is a disaster movie. We need disaster movie-sized disasters. Yes. It was the, it was, the sinkholes we are given in practice are too, they hew too close to reality. Yeah. Um, where they, they, yeah, they would cause a substantial amount of damage. And if they happened in an area where there was a, a high density of people and suddenly the earth dropped out, like you're going to, it's going to be scary. There's going to be loss of life. But like when... There are, it's like a teaser of the end of the movie. There's a big sinkhole that drops out underneath the French Quarter. But like once it drops and like you see it, like you see sort of like the thing, the damage settle after like the the collapse, it is not an intimidatingly large structure. Like there, it's bad. Again, loss of life, property damage, but you're looking at it, you're like, oh, Okay, like, is yeah. this what we've been talking about this entire movie? Like, the, at one point, Brittany Daniels' character... They're not falling into the depths of the earth. They're no, not... Get, you like, can, you, can, you can recover the bodies. You shouldn't be able to see the bottom of a crescendo sinkhole in a disaster movie. And, like, there's one... At one point, like, the, like the, obviously the hole drops. Um, a, the, Brittany Daniels' character, Cindy, is in a building with her man. And they get trapped inside... And we realize it's it's quite a funny reveal to me. Like they're yes. the ground shifts. The the guy is trapped under a bunch of structures. She's trying to get him out. The ground starts shifting. the The wall, the building starts shaking. A wall of it falls off, and suddenly we cut back into the perspective of the hole. And this like cardboard wall just falls, revealing the sinkhole on the other side, where there's been a full search and rescue operation happening for some time now. And all of a sudden. There are these two people who've been trapped in this building. And it's like, wait, nobody knew you were in there. You were literally just on the other side of a wall with all of these rescue technicians on on the other side of it, just looking for people. And Brittany Daniel is hanging off the edge of like the floor of this building because the rest of it's give way to the sinkhole. But like as she's holding this guy's hand and he's like, don't let go. And she's like screaming and kicking her legs. Her leg, her feet are maybe five feet away from ground. Like, the the wall of the sinkhole is sloping beneath her feet. It is 
not if he had let her go maybe a broken ankle maybe yeah it like was, at worst th- thank you yes i as i was watching this moment of peril and i'm like am i the only person who just is like go stand no under, underneath there was her no catch, peril whatsoever stand underneath her and catch her like guys yeah. There's a solution here. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was an urban planning disaster. This was not necessarily yeah. an earth disaster. Yeah. And this is this is we built a city on a marsh disaster. Right. Which is sort of as a result not an unexpected New Orleans disaster if we're going to talk about it like Right. New Orleans is kind of there's always a risk with New Orleans and this is an ongoing problem and why all of their graves are above ground. All their graves are above ground because the water table is so high that what would happen is during flooding, if you bury people in the ground, the graves will pop back up. Oh, God. That's tough. Yeah. So you'd end up with, like, caskets and shit floating, presumably. So instead, you have to bury everybody above ground in these big locker, like, these big stone structures where the bodies essentially cook and incinerate, and that's, uh-huh. that's what they do. They basically have, like self-crematoriums oh god yeah so it's great because when you take a tour of new orleans cemeteries they tell you this like it's super normal and the whole time wow. you're like human burial and you're just like human burial rituals are so fucked yeah. like, <laughs> what are we doing right yeah um I, like i'm walking through like you're walking through and you're like so all these people are actively cooking right this second damn this is, this is some dark shit uh new orleans is a wonderful place yeah, fascinating. Anyway, so so New Orleans, like, there's always a risk of the ground being fairly hostile in uh-huh, that uh-huh. sense. Um, so I, yeah, I just was really when when I read the the log line for it, and I texted you weeks ago, and was like, we have to do this sinkholes, New Orleans, John Corbett. <laughs> And I was so amped about it because in my head it was like giant gaping depths of the earth sinkholes and John Corbett looking concerned. Well, and, and, and like that's what like because what we learn in the 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 final act, the final final act of the movie is like compelling. It's fun. Yeah. And what we do learn is that, oh, that was just a teaser. The real sinkhole, the real huge catastrophic problem is located downtown and it's going to swallow up the entire city. And we just see John Corbett walking through like a series of because what's happened is there was a peat fire. And that instead of just going out has continued to smolder. And this like network of subterranean fires has created a series of tunnels that were at one point filled with water, but the water is receded and it's taken like the silt and clay layer with it. So now there's just all of these caverns beneath the city of New Orleans that stand to turn into sinkholes at any given moment. He's walking through this like network of channels and he finds the huge gaping maw. He's like throwing, he's like throwing um, like glow sticks down trying to find that he cannot see the bottom of this thing like this sinkhole is the size of the sinkhole we're kind of promised from the premise at the very beginning yes but they come up with their solution which is to fill these caverns with polyurethane so it turns into styrofoam and then like gets rigid and hard and like protects no- nothing crashes down we only get this very cgi'd look at rocks falling looped for us where we just see a big dark a big shadow with rocks falling in front of it. And then they're going to fill it with foam. And we never actually get to understand 
the scope of what could have happened to New Orleans. Exactly. Had the sinkhole not been addressed. So it's like... It was softcore disaster porn. It was. It was. It was like showing us everything but. And I mean, honestly, if we're watching this, guys, you've got to show us the big gaping hole. Yeah, it really... Uh, it, it, it Like, we get one crack downtown before the styrofoam fills the cavern and supports the ground and nothing else happens. So the kind of, the, the, the main final disaster actually becomes, and I, this was worth the price of admission for this movie, yes. regardless of what language it's, it's in. Watching John Corbett run through probably like styrofoam modeled tunnels of rock as like a forced perspective camera shot makes it look like he's being basically chased by the blob through these caverns in the form of, like, oozing polyurethane styrofoam. Or, as I was watching it and saw it, oh, that's everybody's sourdough from March. It really, it really, like... It I, looked I, so much... It, it was absolutely... The practical effects they did, it was 100% dough. Because of the way that you could see, like, the texture as it expanded, you could see the, like, grains of it pulling apart. Oh, that was foam. That was foam for sure. You think sure. that was foam? Yeah, I, think I 100% that was... think that was foam. With the way it was aerated like that and like breaking I... off into chunks, I don't think, I think that was foam. Uh, I, think that I was don't a know. Tiny, there was definitely was a, some, some was dough a, in there. A tiny reconstruction at like two inches wide of yeah. pumping foam in front of something and then broadcasting it on a screen behind John Corbett as he ran on like... In, in, he ran on a treadmill or something or through yes. these like fake stone structures and then they superimpose this image behind him that makes him look six inches tall and yes. makes this wall of foam looks like it is absolutely gigantic and imposing. So we spent a fair amount of time watching John Corbett in the end of this movie run away from foam. <laughs> that was definitely worth it. Um, that was and I gotta, really special. That I just was wanna, really special. Just want to double back for a second, Jordan, and really commend you on your like synopsis of what exactly happened underground to ex like to make this happen of the peat fire and everything you really eloquently just you synopsized that synopsized that well um, <laughs> it was a really lovely job it was a, you were almost a geologist i was almost and, a geologist i'm learning things and 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 on that so when they initially are like this is a sinkhole Mm -hmm. And John Corbett's like, but there's no limestone, which is where you traditionally find sinkholes. We don't mm -hmm. have sinkholes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, I'm not interested in learning more about this and wants to walk <laughs> away. He's a really dismissive man. He's an extremely dismissive man and a very disinterested geologist. Yeah. And I know that we're supposed to believe that, like, he's recovering from geology trauma. Right. Yeah. There but, was a mind collapse, right? Yes. That, like he was, he was sort of an, he was absolved of all wrongdoing. Like he wasn't responsible for this, but sort of, I think on his watch, yeah, uh, a mind collapse that he was at least semi-responsible for. Yes. And so he feels very responsible. It has made it, turned him from being a field geologist to working in an office and being extremely cautious, et cetera, et cetera. These are his damages. It's apparently a mind collapse is why he has commitment issues now. Yeah, Which yeah. Seems he's like not getting engaged to his long-term girlfriend, who is so much more competent than he is. And oh yeah, just impeccable bone structure. Uh, wears a wears a suit like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> she and works for she works for the city. She works. For, does she work she, for the mayor's office? She works for the mayor. She's like the mayor's yeah. second in command. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll we'll get into that office dynamic in a moment. But 
Um, so yeah, he apparently has commitment issues because of a mind collapse, which like, okay, that's an excuse. Um, oh, completely. Transparently yeah. an excuse. Like, from the age of 20 to 24, he was like, baby, we can't get married because we're too young. And then from 24 on to what would presumably, I would assume on to well into his 40s, he would have kept using the argument of, you know, I can't mind trauma. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the mind trauma. The I'm, mind I'm trauma. having a hard time. Yeah. Some men are commitment phobes. He's mind phobic. Yeah, I, you know, what if, What if that happens again? Well, mm-hmm. I don't know how that affects our marriage. You're yeah. not listening to me. You don't have any feelings. What about me? You can really see, the. De- you can just imagine all the arguments playing out and their bullshit deflections. Oh, yeah. And, and, or even just using the excuse of, you know, I can't because the gold ring reminds me of the gold we used to mine. It's yeah. just. Sure. Yeah, why not? Just tons of excuses. But I, so he has mind trauma, which fine, whatever. But he's also like. The least curious geologist. Yes. I mean, if you're yeah. like, man, this is a sinkhole. There shouldn't be sinkholes here. And then you shrug and go about your business. You're not a scientist. That's right. Just, that seems like a pretty cataclysmic yeah. change to the physical reality of the area that you live in. And as somebody who studies that physical reality, gosh. Yeah, you should I feel probably, like this one's on you. Otherwise, you might be in store for another mine incident. Yeah, just, like, why wouldn't you even just from a base level be marginally curious of, like, well, you know, look, I don't want to do this officially for the city, but, like, I'm going to sneak back in here later because this seems weird. Why wouldn't that be what you do? But no, 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 John Corbett is, or or Matt, as we're repeatedly reminded in the opening sequence. Yeah, we do literally everyone a lot. They, all the, he, he says Matt a lot. He says Allie a shit ton. He, every sentence, he's referring to his girlfriend by her given name. It's weird. Um, And then he is referred by all the other characters constantly by his name of, you know, hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Matt, what's up? Matt, what do you think about these specs? It's really, it's nonstop. But um, Matt is deeply disinterested and has to be cajoled and guilted by his mayoral assistant girlfriend. Yeah into caring about why the ground is doing things, which seems like a real failing and an unbelievable thing about a geologist. I mean, just going off of, you know, when we look at like, you know, friend of the pod, I think we can say Micah. Yeah, Mika. Mika, I know. I just read her head name is Micah and I feel like an asshole, but Mika, whenever we see Mika on Twitter, she's like- geophysicist. Yes, Mika McKinnon is always tweeting about like, a geophysical event that is happening halfway across the globe and explaining it to people. Uh, yes, yes. Whenever there's an earthquake here in LA, I'm like, if you guys have questions, go read Mika's feed because it's if she's true. awake, she's talking about why it's happening specifically here. It is absolutely true. Um, and so every time, there's just like, if you're a geologist, if you're a scientist of any kind, yeah. if you're science adjacent, yeah. you're curious about what's going on with the world. Um, and yet... Matt does not seem to want or care and is begrudgingly engaging in all of this, which is not really what I want in a disaster hero. <laughs> well, and I mean, and that's like, what's his character's name in Sex and the City? Aiden. Aiden. Yeah, there's like that, you know, there's that sort of lethargic charm about Aiden. That's like his yeah. whole deal. That doesn't work in a hero geologist. Right. 
Like, we need, like, that's an appeal in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. That's not an appeal in We Need to Save the City of New Orleans from a giant fucking disaster. Exactly. And there's ways that they could have done it where, like, he's kind of like, yeah, no, I mean, it's really weird. And she's like, it is, but it's probably a one-time thing. And then they walk away, and later that night, like, he can't sleep, so he goes back. That's how you do it, of, like, him being like, yeah, that is weird. And then he walks away. Yeah, I just can't get it out of my mind. Yeah, I don't know. That's not how the Earth's supposed to work. And then he goes back (laughs) and does it. And she, the whole time, is like, but the mayor's office has said it's a non-problem because of, like... Draco Malfoy, who works here. Yes. Yeah, who is who is the bureaucracy? Who is yeah. uh, the villainous bureaucracy, of course? Which which he's not he's not bureaucracy, which is what's so weird about his character. So the 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 man in this case <clears throat> is in the form of um this press secretary mm-hmm. of all things. So the press secretary who is insistent that Mardi Gras must occur. Yeah. He is vehement. And he's also, so he and Allie are supposed to be peers. They're both supposed to be very young. He's very young. Yeah. Um, and we get like a third act villain's monologue from him to explain yes. all of his motivations. But for most of the movie, you're just like, why though? Mm-hmm. Why are you this invested in Mardi Gras? Because yeah. he is Jaws Mayor level committed to making sure <laughs> that Mardi Gras happens. This regardless. Like to the point, so he's initially... He's dispatched to the scene, gives like a statement about the first um, sinkhole, which kills a character that I really feel robbed of. (laughs) So the opening sequence is two like, you know, city sanitation or city workers in some sewers. And one of them is named Smiley. And he is wearing... Smiley. Yeah, Smiley. Smiley is wearing full Mardi Gras beads he has a harmonica, which he plays in the sewers. Yeah, he is at work with a harmonica, like a like a Bob Dylan harmonica around his neck setup, and so many beads. Yeah, and like, and it's known that Smiley plays harmonica because later <laughs> on we get we we see like a street musician who's like, "Hey, what's been going on? I haven't heard any any harmonica in the sewers lately." Which can you imagine how fucking annoying that would be if you were oh if you were his coworker and. Just constantly all you hear from halfway down a sewer is a harmonica echoing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it sounds like a horror movie. Yeah. It's just everything about it is bad. Um, but Smiley does seem really like a lovely human. Yeah. Albeit whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Smiley is the first person to be eaten by uh, the sinkholes. And so anyway, so so. The mayor, Allie and Draco Malfoy, the press secretary, are dispatched, and he's, like, giving statements. And he seems innocuous, but kind of smarmy. But then as it goes on, he just gets real invested in being like, no, Mardi Gras must occur. We must have Mardi Gras. There's no problem. The sinkholes are fine. To the point where he is given photographic evidence that the, the buildings in the French Quarter are becoming unstable. He menacingly rips them up as soon as the guy walks away. And then yeah. he fabricates a bunch of science and hands <laughs> it to Ali and says it with total confidence of like, this is be actually because of this destabilization of air pockets to the point where it's like, dude, what? This is in 2000. You had to go to the library. 
You yeah, can you- Google this. <laughs> you had to sit down in a library and really devote yourself to learning. You have a geology degree now. You, Good just, job. Just from like sheer spite because you want Mardi Gras to exist. And it's a really weird choice. Well, and um, it's, it's it's something where it's like he's taking the side of Mardi Gras in this way that's like, guy, the Mardi Gras, the pro Mardi Gras perspective is not going to be looked over in your peer group. Like, this is not what we're not going to have to worry about is that nobody but you will be able, will have to speak up for Mardi Gras. Yeah. Like, you're not not taking some rogue's position about, like, I'm going to save this thing that no one has realized is vital to the city, and I'm going to get so many, I'm going to get so many pats on the back for bringing Mardi Gras to New Orleans or something. Like, it's just, there's this, it just, he's, he's out of his mind. He's yeah. out of his mind. Yeah, and it's, because there's, there is, they do have, like, the business district bureau or whatever. They have, or the chamber of commerce. All of them are definitely, like, old, they, we see a bunch of old men who are all, like, I mean, Mardi Gras must exist. Which, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I gotta say, reality index-wise is believable, but given that in, I want to say it was May, the West Hollywood City Council announced that A, Pride would not be happening, and B, the Halloween parade would not be happening because of COVID. Like, reality-wise, I would have 100% believed it until this year. Um, I would have been like, yeah, no, why wouldn't they still argue for Mardi Gras? But now I've seen, like, no, the West Hollywood City Council closed all of these excuses that this entire city has to be scantily clad. And for West Hollywood... I really wondered watching this, do we think the city council needed, like, because, like, should I be so cynical as to think that, did the city council need bad intel to cancel, to keep Mardi Gras going? Or would city council have been like, no, it's worth the risk because this is definitely the biggest thing that happens in the city every year. Would the city officials default to have defaulted to the bad choice without tainted information or do we think they would have canceled like do we think given all the proper intel they would have been like oh we can't do this we can't do this this is well sorry fat tuesday's off this year guys i couldn't say i couldn't yeah it's hard to say you know okay so if i were rewriting this what i would do is i would have um had them be like okay you're right like i would have had them be like no we can't we can't cancel Mardi Gras. And then a sinkhole would have happened in the French Quarter before Mardi Gras. Yeah. Which I guess I didn't realize Mardi Gras is like a multi-day thing, it appears to be, which I did oh, not yeah. know. Yeah. I thought it was oh, a day. I No, it's like a week or at least a three A week days. of floats? I did not know this. So I guess I would have had it set like before the float start or like the first day of the floats and there would have been like a minor float disaster. A minor float disaster. And then I would have had them be like, oh no, well we can't cancel Mardi Gras completely. We're going to reroute it to downtown. Okay. And so then that's the what it third feels like would have had they would have they would have definitely it found it feels like they would have been able to I mean obviously in the context of disaster movie the entire city is in peril but yeah. like they would have re- they would have been like well this is the classic route but actually we're going to have to take it elsewhere and they would have just told people to drive to other streets. So so here's my thing is that at that point then what you would have is you'd have the third act where instead of it just being John Corbett running through tunnels there would also be oh my god we've rerouted the entire Mardi Gras over the bigger sinkhole. Right, right, okay, yeah, yeah. So that would have been the peril and, like, this ground becoming unstable or hostile, one might say. And then, like, 
they and then the danger would be there as opposed to um, what it was, which was just sort of like a, a an inconvenient. Basically, they I don't know if you ever watched uh, Parks and Rec, Jordan, but the whole time I was like, yes. oh, it's the hole that Leslie has to fill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, basically, it ends up being the pit, which is really funny because Andy breaks his leg in the pit. And yes. Because the pit is only perilous for Andy. And that's what I was reminded of the whole time that I was watching Brittany Daniel, like, dangle over it. It was like, well, oh, my God. You'll be fine. It's the pit. Yeah, no, it really. Like, again, at best, and I don't even think it would have been this bad, broken ankle. If, yeah. If, if Brittany had slipped out of that guy's hand. Or if someone had run over and been like, hey, I'll catch you. Yeah, like, you can let her go. We got her. We got her. It's yeah. good. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's not that perilous. The ground's not going to eat her. But it was it was a, a moment of high drama for her, kicking her her white knee high boots. <laughs> having, you know, as far as reality index goes, having the most maximum two thousand haircut possible. Oh, it was the it blonde was so... with the like kind of like plastered down up top like shell with the spiky short mid to back area mm-hmm. just what a time and place yeah yeah it was that is a hundred percent in fact the there was a there like I saw that and I could think of three actresses that I personally knew at the time who, <laughs> there was I had a play stage and it had like professional actors and it was super cool but like one of the car- one of the main actresses did a bunch of TJ Maxx commercials at the time. Oh, and wow. she had that hair, and it's just like TJ. It is TJ Maxx hair to me. That's just what it is. <laughs> it was. It was such the whole thing when she shows up and her outfit. So she's the she's Allie's niece. Um, yes, she is. She's mayoral office Allie's niece, eighteen year old niece, Cindy. Um, which John Corbett greets her, and you're the whole time like, none of this seems right. No, 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 it does not. It seems amiss when yeah. J- her and John Corbett. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, no, did not. I was, I was very concerned. It's very, about- oh, is this why you're not getting engaged to your girlfriend? Yeah, you're his his 18 year old girlfriend's niece, who he greets and is way too touchy and like, yeah. wow, you're really grown up now. Yeah, and I was nope, like, bad oh, thing this to say. is. It was so creepy. It was so creepy. But she was wearing a red, like, baby tee. Yeah, and oh, then the baby tees. The outfit was so perfect. It was red baby tee, um, dark wash denim, <laughs> uh, cropped, cropped denim, like, just about an inch and a half above the ankle <laughs> with a flare. And oh, two, God, the cropped and, flare. No, Jordan, this was the one. This is what made it 2000. This is like, this will be, this outfit could show up in Pen 15. I mean, easily. you're already, it's already screaming 2000. Yeah, but two inches of silk, vaguely Asian print hem on it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had That's to true. pause it to see it. There was like a big two inch silk God. fabric. Remember those fabric hems oh, that they would do? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the whole thing, like I Maybe the see... realest thing about this movie Yeah, was her sh- was her clothes. I couldn't see, <laughs> I couldn't see her, her shoe, but I have to assume it was the black, chunky Steve I was gonna Madden. Say a ch- a chunky, was... yep. It was a Steve Madden chunky slide. It had a to be. A chunky slide. Yeah. Oh you know what? The big, God. thick black strip of, of like stretch fabric over it. Huge. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the, what it had to be. The, I mean, the violence 
of clothing in that era. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 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 zippers the could not have been shorter. Yeah, like the waistline could not have been lower. The cultural appropriation could not have been weirder. The the shirts to compensate for the tiny pants had to be so long or alternately so fucking short, yeah, that they offset the shortness of the pants to bear like the amount of one of the best things I watch a lot of 2000s horror especially lately, the amount of sweaters and like warm clothing worn as a peekaboo top like the amount of midriff one can see in the 2000s with a fucking turtleneck or a cable knit sweater mm-hmm. is like we have defeated the purpose of this cozy wear by making it a crop we yeah. have made cropped turtleneck sweaters and you know what, Jennifer Garner, you looked great in every single one of them in Alias, but it's still hilarious. But it is still fucking hilarious. It was it was a big time for the eight inches below your belly button. Oh my God. Because really, your, your options were show all of that or wear a dress, literally wear a dress over your pants. A dress. It was a full fucking cami as a dress. Yeah, no, it wasn't even camis as a dress. dress. Do you you remember that was a thing? Like you would just throw a dress on over jeans and that was over with a belt. And and that was red carpet wear? Yeah, Yeah, a a low slung belt. A low slung skinny ass belt. And everything was kind of silky. Yep. Yeah, you're going out tops. I still (laughs) when I when I pack, I still in my head. I still use the phrase, okay, I need like two going out tops. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Where am I going out to? I go no, like not, this is even pre-pandemic. I was like, I would go to like, I would go to visit friends and I'd be like, okay, and I need like two going out tops because it's about two nights. And I was like, where are we going out to? I'm going to sit on Marin's couch and we're going to watch Drag Race for four hours. Like, what? <laughs> why do I need this? It could be one of those nights where Marin just wants to tear up the town. You don't know and you do have to prepare. There was no world in... Like, Jordan, I mentally packed for this like that for, like, after... During her cancer treatments, I was packing <laughs> like that. And I was like, I don't need going out tops. We're literally staying home. Yeah, that was she definitely has not cancer. a going out top time. No, but in my head, just as part of packing, that was part of it. It was just like the autopilot of it. Um, always, always and forever will be going out tops. You know that, yeah, um, like Cindy from from this movie lived in going out tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, she, that was Cindy's her wet seal. Her wet seal assortment yeah. was really ample. Again, um, I will say she was the realest thing about this movie. Yes, 100%. Cindy, it was like if it wasn't Brittany Daniel, if it was just if it was just like an actress from Central Casting and I didn't recognize this person, it would be like, "Oh, they just got a 19-year-old, a 21-year-old from the area and they were like, "Can you just be you on camera for a couple days?" Like, yeah. these are these lines we need you to say, but truly don't change anything. Just show up, wear your own clothes even. Yeah. Do your own hair. Just come, come, do your hair, do your own makeup. Do you have a frosty lip gloss? We'd love a frosty lip gloss. If you've oh got it. yeah, lip gloss culture of the two thousands. Oh, and this was this was just that like just cusping into the true lip gloss culture. But this would have been a good frosted gloss versus the clear juicy wow. juicy tubes gloss. And I do just want I just do want the folks at home to know that after like this movie ended and I had to start googling around Brittany Daniel, I spent so much time watching gifts of the dance battle scene from White Chicks. 
featuring her and Jamie King. I in the in the past day, there's been so much of me just like studying gifts of the final of the dance scene from the end of White Chicks featuring Brittany Daniel in very much a going out top in a uniformly like blue matchy matchy tiny skirt tiny shirt combination. Oh, I don't even I haven't even seen White Chicks, but I can imagine exactly what that looks like. Oh yeah, they're in a club. They're yeah. in a club and it's her and Jamie King are like a pair and they uh Jamie's the one in pink and she's the one in blue and sure. Brittany Daniels phenomenally um you know worked hard for it toned physique out there uh doing choreographed dance in the middle of the in the middle of a club necessitating the going out top again what a moment in time like we were saying this was 2000 this was a good time for John Corbett and Brittany Daniel yeah this so was like I've got this to was believe their golden that, era that this movie was meant to be an event like that this was kind of like oh this is worth your time you know yeah I mean well this would be you know this would have been a, a TBS or I, or TNT, I can't remember which of the two it was, but yeah, this is sort of at that just tail end of when you would watch like an NBC miniseries event, or like this is right at that tail end of when we still thought that you could get quality programming from the networks, or at the very least, there was nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, this right. would have this was this was exactly what this would have held our captured our attention at during those dark days. And you know, I just I, I feel like as a meta reality index comment in two thousand, this was like this is what we wanted, like simpler times. Yeah, it's year two thousand. It's like let's. Uh, I'm Brittany Daniel. I'm John Corbett. Let's make a fucking movie about a sinkhole underneath New Orleans with TBS or some top some uh. Warner owned property, some Ted Turner owned property. Sounds good. Yeah, like, why not? Ted Turner. Why not? Ted Turner probably wrote the script himself. I let's, just let's have a breezy day. I can't. Im- I can't imagine. I can't imagine such a, such a frivolous time <laughs> anymore. No, I can't. It was. It was a simple, easy time. Minimal amounts of CGI, mostly Man. practical effects. Mostly like, practical. They just, they were like, okay, yeah, we can, uh, it looks like it was shot a lot on, like, either location or on. I was really impressed at actually seeing what I believed to be New Orleans. I was like, wow, they actually went there? Yeah, it kind of did seem like it was in New Orleans. Like, it it looked a lot like, it either was the French Quarter or they shot it exclusively at Disneyland's New Orleans Square. (laughs) One of the two. Um, Right. But it had a real, it had the real look and feel of it, which was nice. The music was not at all. The uh, music, New Orleans-y. the music was so funny because, like, I think this is part of the reality index too. Because it's like trying to do like a New Orleans thing. It's like let's put a suspenseful, you know, budget level disaster movie score in this, but we're gonna add jazz. Like, let's add trumpets. And yeah. it just, it is so. It was like the player piano, like shitty MIDI file version, player piano version of what New Orleans plus suspense film score would sound like. It was and, and very, very tacky. So much, so much like dramatic electric guitar, which was weird. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It, there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was a lot of jazz. It felt more like there was a lot of like country, like yeah. true country, which was weird. Like this had the first on-camera um, electric fiddle seduction sequence I've ever seen. Oh my God. Which went very long. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brittany Daniel, so she she returns to New Orleans and which I guess is where she's from. 
Um, according, I think so. Like uh, per per the backstory we get is she's from there, which sure. Um, and she is walks into this bar that her, her aunt has brought and John Corbett have brought her to. And a guy jumps off of the stage. This young guy with an electric fiddle jumps off the stage and blocks her path and plays electric fiddle very aggressively at her for the entirety <laughs> the entirety of the song while she sort of half-heartedly dances because, like, what else can you do when a man is staring at you and electric fiddling? Um, and it You're turns really out, low on options at that yeah, point. Yeah, you just have to. And, like, he will not let her. He is, the, he is Gandalfing her of, like, you shall not pass, <laughs> but with an electric fiddle. And she's just going for it. It turns out that, like, he was her neighbor that she had a crush on when she was a kid. And so they know each other, so there's some context. <clears throat> but also, when you're watching it and you don't have that context. No. You're truly just like, dude, what is your deal, man? Yeah, you're like, her, red flags all over the place. Let her sit. And also, this is not hot. This is not the... <laughs> like, that did feel very much like a thing that a guy who plays electric fiddle in a random New Orleans bar would right. think is is charming and persuasive. I mean, I feel like so often when we arrive at the moment where... Uh, most of the time when we arrive at the moment where the, the guy does fucking stupid thing dangerous thing, threatening thing, reality index resoundingly accurate. Yeah, no, it's resoundingly fully, accurate. I was I was with it. I was also just like this yeah. is very as a viewer I am yeah. conf- <laughs> I think befuddled is the term I would use in this yeah, case. Yeah, agreed. Like we could be seeing a sinkhole and instead we're watching 3 minutes of this. <laughs> yeah, this is time we could have spent in a sinkhole. And for a movie about that I would like I would like more. Yeah. That was that was what was really surprising to me was just oh we're just going to hang out here with the fiddler fiddling <laughs> at Brittany. Okay. Um and he ends up being like they have their little secondary love story yeah. because you can't have women on screen and not have them fall in love with someone. Um, no. Especially not in 2000. Like, that you couldn't have, like, an 18-year-old. She's clearly going to marry this man now in, like, two yeah. weeks. It's probably yeah, going to be a double, a double been, wedding ceremony. It has been, yeah, it's been cemented. And as, you know, as, as of course, you know, sort of in movie fashion, uh, once John Corbett runs from the from foam, the foam. Yeah. successfully gets out of it after they think he's been, like, buried alive by it, he blows his way out of the out of the cir- tunnel circuit, which happens to be at the edge of the sinkhole that has swallowed the French Quarter, and he he shoots out of the ground, and then he stands next to you know he's with Cindy who's in a blanket, and he's with his girlfriend, and he you know he's like well you know you're, he's gonna the the boyfriend has obviously been hurt Cindy's boyfriend he's going off in an ambulance, and he's like well you know he's gonna have to he's gonna have to get better he's gonna have a big part to play at the reception. And was like reception, and so he does. He does actually exactly what his character would do, which is not propose like a normal person. Right? Thank and, you. I yeah. was waiting for him yep. to say it, and he does not. And I was like, yeah. "You motherfucker!" He's, yeah, he's just like how. how and, and his girlfriend's like reception. And he's like, "Yeah, well, you know, how about it?" And she, and to her credit, she's like, "How about what?" Yeah. What do you What are you talking about? And he's like, "Will you marry me?" It's like, yeah, fucker, say it, say yeah. it. All I'm learning right now is that actually this is the heat of a traumatic, we're in the, the the wake of a traumatic experience and you're overwhelmed and you're proposing to me, but actually you haven't fucking changed at all and you can't even say the words without me coaching you, will you marry me? So you know what, bitch? Leave him. 
yeah. leave his ass behind. Yeah, this was, I mean, look, it's been seven years, dude. It's been seven years that you two have been together. Get on one knee. That Get is on, at least, it. like, lean fully. I know that right now, like, I'm supposed to be a feminist. I'm supposed to be like, marriage is, is whatever, man. She, it means something to her. Yeah. It matters to her. Get on a knee. You know that's what she wants. When people ask, how did he propose to you? You're going to have to say, well, we were standing next to an ambulance. And he said, how about it? And that was how we decided to get married after seven years. Like, dude, give her something. I'm pretty sure my dad said to my mom, Deb, I think it's time we get married. They're definitely fucking divorced now. So like, hey, man. Know who you're marrying. This is who you're marrying. The man you have to coach the words actual proposal language out of to get to say yes. And not because it's like a cute thing you guys do and it's like your little couple dynamic. Because you have to teach him to be an adult who's not afraid or at least will begrudgingly accept commitment. Yeah. And and he only apparently is able to do this after, of course, he recovers from the mind trauma by learning that explosives actually aren't bad. Yes. Um, yes. Because so the the Chekhov's gun of this movie is that he packs his his pack when he goes into the tubes with what seems to be an infinite supply of glow sticks. Which I and that was like I get the throwing the glow stick ahead to like see the terrain where you're walking, but he also for every glow stick that he just threw ahead 15 feet, he could just pick that up and throw it again. He yeah. had just an infinite supply of glow sticks to continue throwing ahead of him. It's like, dude, fucking, are you worried you're gonna run out? Pick that shit up and throw it again. Yeah, and he keeps, and then when he throws them, and he just keeps throwing them into the the hole, and I was like, D- "You will run out eventually, won't you?" Like, <laughs> yeah, the the pack is not that. I only saw you grab like half a dozen of those, dude. Yeah, he used easily forty glow sticks in these tubes, <laughs> yeah. and he didn't have that big of a backpack. But he also brought with him <clears throat> unidirectional C four, um, yes, because he, as he put it, you never know when like it could come in handy, basically. Yeah, and hey, in a in a series of mine, like, yes, absolutely true. But in a sinkhole situation, I don't know that I would I would say that C four is going to come in handy, but it does. Yes, because yes. it's Chekhov C four, and it wouldn't be a disaster movie from the two thousands if we didn't blow something up. <laughs> and so yeah, he like blows his way out of the out of the sinkhole and like emerges from it like a newborn baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. Him, him diving out of that was a pretty great moment. Yeah, it was it was really it was really good. Um, and just it, it, that was the whole turn of like, I'm going into the into the hole and I'm going to be the and I'm going to I'm going to die in here. And that's OK. I was like, you know what? This I'm in for. Mm-hmm. I'm good for this. Like, this is the first time that this character has been worthwhile to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it was like him just the first time that he's actually done anything um but also yeah dude just come on this didn't make you recover from your mind trauma you just realized that you needed her her doctor her like city health insurance yeah and you're just like you're feeling very attached right now because you just survived um a near death a near-death experience like i'd say ride this out for a week yeah Uh, maybe a couple get her a fucking ring and think about it also i would argue maybe it's time for you guys to leave new orleans uh, the entire city is now built upon polyurethane. And yeah, the entire city now rests on a network of polyurethane support that can't go well. 
No, I just feel like maybe we should have some concerns here. But everyone seems super cool with it at the end. They're like, yeah. well, problem, problem is solved. We have no concerns, no further concerns. I, I watched I watched a movie uh, this week at Beyond Fest, the, the horror festival in L.A. that happens every year. They put it on at the drive-in, so it was actually in person. It was very fun. Uh, shouts out to my friend Michael Kennedy, who co-wrote the Closing Night movie, Freaky, um, a very, very fun slasher. And what it got me thinking about was... I like this this reminds me of that moment at the end of a slasher when there's been like untold death and maybe for a while like and when like the cops show up maybe you're like the only suspect because everyone's dead but you're alive but the killer's not like how we only like we always leave the movie before anybody has to explain what the fuck just happened. Like, oh yeah, we we always we you know, and I have no problem with that. That is not like a story continuity thing. I'm not bitching about it. I just love the idea of like you know, let's not get into the traumatic experience of being a final girl. But like the 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 week after where it would be like you have to talk to this person and this person and this police officer and this case person and this lawyer like the uh, the amount of fucking explaining it would take the amount of paperwork that that woman has to do now in the mayor's office oh, to address yeah. this catastrophe that like is very tidily going to be I love how the I love how the bad guy gets resolved like yeah. the public servant like the 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 public city uh, worker who gave the bad mayor's office employee the data about the sinkholes and the images after, before, like, he took it, he rips it up, he gives, like, the people that he works with bad data. Like, he is getting asked on camera, like, what's happened? Why is this happening? Oh, my God, this is a catastrophe. And then the city worker's like, I showed you the material. I put it right in your hands. And he gets, like, blown up in the news media that guy's probably i don't know maybe gonna go to jail for some sort of malfeasance he's at least getting called into the boss's office to get a talking to the amount of minutia that is going to have to go in to cleaning up after this and we just get a thank we just get to leave the movie just gets to leave and i love that about movies thank you movies from sparing us from the paperwork of real life Yes, it was, I, I actually, I was thinking, when I watched uh, Ready or Not at the end, I was just like, oof. <laughs> yeah, she's got a lot. She she's, has got a lot to fucking answer for. She's gonna, she's going to jail. Like, how she's do you explain? going to jail. Like, how do you explain? So, they all combusted. They That's are why all fucking blood bags on the floor. Yeah, like, how do you explain any of what just happened when you're the only witness and also everyone has combusted and the house has burned down and Mm -hmm. you married into a rich family and you are now the number one suspect for like I don't know some kind of marriage insurance fraud like yeah fuck yeah no she she's fully going to jail and as I was watching I was like oh I really like her that's a bummer Um, (laughs) but she's she's gonna she's gonna run that jail but like what a bummer yeah Um, what a bummer so yes, to go off of your point about the final girl, like the week afterward. Yeah, um, we, we don't get into that. We really no. like. So you say there was a killer at the scene, but ma'am, we haven't been able to find a body because the killer always gets up and walks away. Right, we've been able to find a body. All we have is you and nine dead friends. And, and and also your fingerprints on most of the murder weapons. Yeah, we're uh, you have to you have to understand that we are we are out of options here. You are you are the one thing we've got. 
Um, I where's think that? Where's that mini series? I well, I was just thinking the final like, girls in yes! fucking jail together. That's exactly. I was like, that's 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 a that's a comic right there. Wow. That yeah. Jason. Jason. Was, yep. Jason. Make, <laughs> you gotta make a make a comic about all the final girls in jail together, like an Arkham Asylum, but for final girls. Yeah, who were found oh guilty of the murders carried out by supervillains. You got like you're doodling. Just doodle it out. Yeah, doodle that <laughs> if, shit if out. Anyone, if anyone listening wants to uh, wants to pay me to do that, so I can uh, take time off from the other stuff I'm doing, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A disaster Kaylee, diva production. Kaylee Cuoco, you're out there somewhere. <laughs> you have another. We have another animated show for you to voice in addition to Harley Quinn. <laughs> Which is a masterpiece. This is so a, this is a cartoon I need. You heard it, Jordan. Well, I mean, Jordan, you want to be a producer. I'm a producer now. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't say I want you want to be. You are a producer. I'm a producer now, world. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah. But, but yeah. So like, we should probably touch briefly upon the press secretary's motivations before we roll into. Uh, okay. Before, before we roll into what is this our, movie really our about? Commercial break before yeah, we roll our, into our yeah. commercial break. So at the end, we get a villain's. A villain monologue from him. Yes. Um, that is truly just, it ends up basically being, I did it because the patriarchy. Yeah. yeah. Which is such a surprise turn of events, but also, like, it shouldn't be surprising, but it's surprising because you have no other sense in this entire movie that he resents her for this. No, no, that's not, that's not, um, that, 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 those cards are not tipped. Yeah, like they do totally different jobs. He's not like the deputy press secretary and she's the main press secretary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the press secretary and she served as like assistant to the mayor, like not a mayor mayor assistant, but like second in command handles. Yeah, like, like she like she's somebody who potentially would like run to fill his seat if he like went on if he was like, Oh, I'm gonna run for governor now, I'm gonna retire or whatever, she would be like, and I will be running in his seat next year. Like it's yeah. it's a line of succession kind of thing. And he's not not to say that he doesn't have those mayoral ambitions, but they don't do the same job in the office to be in competition with one another. Yeah, there's never a time where the mayor's like Allie, what do you think? And he's like, but sir. And the mayor's like, I wasn't asking you. Like there's yeah. no sense that he's been passed <clears throat> over. And also what we learn during his villain monologue is that, like, Ali's also dramatically more qualified than he is. He's like, you think you're fancy because you've got a law degree and we're a lawyer. Because Ali used to be a practicing lawyer. Yeah. And, I mean, I would assume he just has, like, a comms or poli-sci degree. Right. Which, like, is not, which is certainly nothing to scoff at. But, like, you you look at elected officials, like... Yeah, that is a very popular track. People yeah. who were previously lawyers, there is a large there is a large number of them who go on to work in and hold public. It's kind of a very complimentary track. And it is, yes, very understandably a sort of qualification that is desirable among people who would, you know, theoretically be working to serve the citizenry. Right. So I just... All around, as when he came out with that monologue, and I was expecting to be like, actually, the reason I care so much is because Mardi Gras is my father or something, would have made like more yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, more, would have made more sense than what we got in terms of what his motivations were. Um, so that was confusing to me personally. Yeah. No, he was just, I mean, he just is somebody who seemed to have a general anger. I guess it would have yeah. to be pegged on a general anger at women holding positions of power. Yeah. Because it Which, would just be like, 
bitch, why are you here? Kind of thing like that. Because beyond that, we didn't get, we didn't get enough information to support another thesis. Yeah. So in sum, what we learned basically is that, so when he, he ends up, instead of like going to jail for anything, he probably ends up being like an RNC chairman or something. Yeah. Um, Between the fact that he won't cancel stuff because of general disaster and also that like he hates that women hold power. Yeah. Um, He's, he's going to go on to be a Reince Priebus or a Stephen Miller. Yeah. A hundred percent. He had, so it was just, and his whole Draco Malfoy thing was just a weird, it was a weird vibe. It tracked, but it was weird, and I was just all around confused. Also, just um, saying Reince Priebus just now reminded me of how many bodies on the floor ago that was in this presidential administration. Oh my God, I I just, I had forgotten his existence entirely. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. But does that, now does that then take us into our commercial break? I think it does, Yeah. All right, you know, before, you know, as as we are lucky to be bringing to you guys, before we get into our what was this movie really about, we have a message that we have to give you, and that is on behalf of our sponsor, Super Yaki, because folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones? Everyone told you not to like, I personally do. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure, to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all of their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. I'm currently using one as a compost bag. What? I should. I love it. I should bring you my compost because I don't understand how compost works. No, you totally should. I'm very passionate about composting. I want to compost. I just, I, I keep Googling it and then being like, I need a tumbler and then I get confused. <laughs> um, I'm currently wearing my Birds of Prey Best Picture for Your Consideration shirt. And it I am in lovely. my Jennifer, Justice for Jennifer's Body blue tea. I was going to ask, do we want to talk a little bit about that? First, let me tell you guys, as a special yeah. gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERFRIEND. That's all caps, no spaces, SUPERFRIEND at checkout. Jordan, do you want to talk a little bit about the shirt you're currently wearing and the other accoutrement you currently own? Yeah, I, and I will I will finish that off by saying, if the spirit moves you, find them. When I say them, I mean what I'm wearing right now at superyaki.com, which is S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. I, the Super Yaki just did their Halloween drop, which includes a whole series dedicated to Guillermo del Toro, including my favorite one they put out, which is just a, a very pretty blue t-shirt that just says Doug Jones on the front, like famous creature actor Doug Jones. And... In, in coordination with me, uh, in recognition of this Halloween month, and happen, happily syncing up with an event I just did uh, doing a seminar on Jennifer's body for the Coolidge Theater uh, in, in Massachusetts, yay, IRL online film education, uh, there is a whole line of Jennifer's body apparel, including a, all t-shirts are unisex, a blue t-shirt, like a navy blue t-shirt, 
and a black t-shirt, each of which say justice for Jennifer's body in a beautiful reproduction of the film's title logo. There is also a coach's jacket with the same slogan embroidered on it, a sweatshirt with the same logo as the t-shirt screen printed on, and also a hat black hat, possibly a blue one too, but I know a black one that says just for justice for Jennifer's body embroidered on it. They've also got a one right now uh, that is an homage to uh, Adam's family values that says Joan Cusack should have won an Oscar. So there is a ton of goodies up on. Uh, there's also uh, a shirt that says, I think it's the watch scary movies alone club. So uh, there's a ton of Halloween merch up right now on Super Yaki. They're the nicest people. The shirts are legitimately super comfortable. I've worn one. I've worn a shirt of theirs from the Jennifer's Body Drop each of the last three days. I'm living in this stuff right now. So not only not only are they a sponsor, they're a friend of the show, and I I truly am an endorser of their work. So yeah. It's been very exciting. I didn't know. Jordan, didn't, you didn't tell me that you were partnering with them on this. And it was so exciting because the first thing, as soon as I saw the Justice for Jennifer's Body shirt, <laughs> I like was mid about to text you. And then I read the caption and I was like, oh, even better. Jordan knows about this because, of course, Jordan had her thumbs in this because <laughs> Jordan is the foremost authoritarian on all things Jennifer's body. I really reclaiming am. Jennifer's body, and it, it is it is so cool. I I am very excited for for you and for we Super Yaki. Thank you. We do. Oh, and I will say I will say during our Jennifer's body seminar for the Coolidge, which does they're not paying us, but I will say they you know support independent theaters. Coolidge.org. They've been doing a ton of like online film education seminars in place of being able to have in person programming. So really cool people talking like myself. Film writers like Bilga Abiri and Monica Castillo doing like one hour talks about specific movies and then doing a one hour Q&A session afterwards that people can join if you sign up for those things. So super support them. That's crucial that we support these these outlets. Um, We did get in the chat during the Jennifer's Body Q&A a disaster diva representation shout out. What? So, yeah, we, we did. Had, we have, yeah, we had a disaster, at least one disaster diva in the house at the Jennifer's Body Talk. So, if you're out there listening and you are at the Jennifer's yeah. Body discussion, thank you for your podcast crossover support. Uh, disaster Divas is a home for all those who wish to reclaim Jennifer's body and vice versa. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh Absolutely. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I, it was like all caps right near the end. We were signing off and somebody shouted out disaster diva represent take represent. And I was like, yes, I see you. That is, I think that's our first like in the wild disaster diva. It was great. It that's was very so exciting. Cause like, we love a wild disaster. Diva. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? We do. We do. Feral disaster divas. 30 to, 30 to 50 to feral disaster divas is really what we're looking for in any situation. Unstoppable. Oh, we are. The only thing that can stop us is theoretically a nuclear bomb, as evidenced by all disaster movies. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Or a volcano. Or, Come on. No, excuse me. The volcano is stopped by a disaster diva. <laughs> yeah. Don't you dare the disaster argue. disaster diva is a geophysicist. Yeah, don't you dare argue that that's Anne Heche was not a disaster diva in that film. <laughs> don't you dare argue that. Um, well, that's super exciting. And yeah, so in sum, we love Super Yaki, we wear Super Yaki, and Justice for we Jennifer's do. Body. Yeah, it's really nice to have a sponsor that we like, we are legitimately excited about. So we can be like, no, we're not just reading ad copy. Like, we're really pumped about this. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I have been, my, I was so, re- I was so excited to finally, it takes me forever to wash my clothes. And I was like, so excited to finally wash 
and be able to wear my super yucky stuff. And the first thing, <laughs> yeah. the first thing I was like, I'm gonna wash my. I dyed my hair purple, and I was like, I'm gonna wash the purple oh, out of my. I'm gonna wash the purple out of my hair, and then I'm gonna put on my birds of prey shirt for the first time, and I'm gonna have purple hair and my bisexual lighting purple uh, uh, Harley Quinn shirt, and it's gonna be great. And instead, I put that shirt on and immediately sweated through it because I was cleaning my bathtub. Yeah, Amanda had a disaster <laughs> moment in her bathtub with her hair dye. So. You can find that on my Twitter, and I was just like so Extensive. devastated that I wasn't going to be able to take. So I'm I'm very happy to finally it's clean. I'm wearing it. It is so comfortable. I forgot about I forgot about the seeing that picture and when Jordan just said Amanda had a disaster moment in her bathtub, oh. it conjured the worst possibilities in my head and I went that I feel so bad you had to clean that up, but then nope, it was then I remembered the hair. Dog. Yeah, no, this isn't this isn't a, a, what your dog is currently experiencing, Jordan or Jason. It was it was somehow worse. Actually, <laughs> I was so naked and so covered in purple. It was so bad. Man. Anyway, which I, well, which I think is a great if you're, let's great transition this into what was this movie, into, was, this really movie was really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Amanda. What do you think this movie was really about? Uh, you know, Jordan, I. I struggled with this. Uh-huh. So I'm going to default to you first because okay. I'm not entirely sure. I, You know, I, yeah, I'm going to default to you. You know, I feel like, I, I feel like I've, I've gone with this on, I feel like I have gone with this on this podcast before, but I, I will say, I feel like it's really like, don't settle for the guy you've been with for a long time just because you've been with him. Like, come on, ma'am, you have a law degree. You have a burgeoning political career. Uh, in a vibrant city, you have this guy who's like half interested in you and half interested in his fucking job, frankly. Uh, kick his ass to the curb. I, I don't, I'm not saying you wanted him to die. Like, I'm not saying if something perilous happens to this person you care for, don't don't show up for them. Uh, but after you show up for them and they're like, will you marry me? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. No, this is really snapped into focus for me that my life is going further and faster than yours. And I cannot have you as an anchor hanging like dragging behind me along the way for you to resent me as I inevitably outgrow you so get the fuck out of there get the fuck out of there and also uh you know consider the ramification you know in the micro specific circumstance do you consider the ramifications of filling the entire support structure beneath a large city with polyurethane and maybe don't just consider that a fix-all maybe maybe address the accompanying problems that are inevitably going to come after that yeah okay so as soon as I said I didn't know what it was about, it hit me. There you go. Um, so that's cool. That was exciting. And I think that this is all, uh, I'm going to go as I often do, religious. Okay, um, yeah. I think, you know, Mardi Gras is a sinful time. Sure. Um, it is a time of gluttony, of lechery, of lust. Mm-hmm. Many, many of the cardinal sins that one might expect. Um, sure. We even have jealousy from somebody And I don't think it's a coincidence that this is occurring during Mardi Gras and that the city is being swallowed by the depths of hell. I think I would I would love it if this moment was your Jews for Jesus Christian awakening, Amanda. I I don't think that I'm going to cross into that because I really love (laughs) I'm a big fan of 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 not believing in in Jesus. Um, (laughs) No offense to those who do. Power to you. It's just just not. not, Yeah, it's just not. It's just not my thing personally. I. I like just sticking with the original flavor of, mm-hmm. of monotheism. Um, but I do think that the message of this film was like, repent lest your sins 
lead to your death. It's Whether true. it was all these people, um, like, gathering in one place and the weight of all of them gathering and the weight of their sins, uh-huh. um, potentially destabilizing the ground to um, John Corbett almost dying because of his sin of, of fear yeah. and theoretically living in sin. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously a little bit of lust for his niece, Cindy, all these things he could be At punished least a little, he could be punished for all these things. Um, and that's why he has to run and escape the depths of hell and then becomes a good, a good married man at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, down to even like, as we think about environmental sins, this occurs because of a peat fire. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, mining and this occurs because we, we pull out the thing that supports the earth for our own callous needs and it swallows us whole. Um, it does. So even environmental, a little bit of environmental, um, I don't want to say justice, but like environmental theology here. So that's where I would go. Is I think that's a fine, I think a that's a fine note about, to include as we come off a VP debate in which nobody, in which it became a competition to see who could love fracking the most. Yes. <laughs> um, weird turn, but okay. Everyone loves fracking, even though most people in Pennsylvania hate fracking, and that's where fracking occurs. That's right, fine. Right, yeah. The, um, the, like, no, 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 we want to keep fracking the most of all. Like, that, yeah. like, this is a, this is a good note to go to. So, everyone loves fracking, but I can tell you that, uh, fracking, this is not far off from the sins of what our fracking could, could reap or sow, yeah. or however that phrasing would, would work. Anyway, point is... Yeah, that's what I'm that's where I'm going. It's a little it's it's a religious undertone of if you sin, uh, hell will come for you. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the slasher movies of the 80s teach us the exact same thing. So, yeah. you know, obviously it's a lot. So that's that's what I think this movie is really about. How what did you did you think, Jordan, that this was a cast that needed to be altered in any way, shape or form? You know, I God, that's really, you know, I feel like if I were if I were to do anything, it would be like a lateral. You know, like yeah. it would just be like, all right, let's put the cast of Pacific Blue in this. You know, yeah, um, which you could do, uh, but I kind of, you know, for its time and its place, it, it kind of was what I needed it to be. That was sort of how I like. If you remade it, I don't know that I want to remake it unless it became like a much bigger disaster. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. It's a very, like, given that it's New Orleans, it's an extremely white movie. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I mean, the mayor is black, but then everyone else in this film is white. Um, right, in New Orleans. In New Orleans, except in for Smiley. In Louisiana. Smi- except for Smiley, who dies. Yeah, um, oh, rude. Yeah, so, it, I, I mean, like, I guess you could remake it, but I don't know that anyone would ask me to, and I don't know that I would be like, yeah, let's do it, versus being like, let's maybe not and invest in something else mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah just you could slot in pretty much any other actors of it, it's such a perfect encapsulation of that time period yeah i don't know that you would want to slot in anybody else yeah no yeah like, well, just keep it john corbett keep yeah. it britney daniel sure yeah so towering infernos wise though what you thinking gosh it's <laughs> i'm kind of torn on this one yeah because like i feel like i want to give it like a one and a half? Yeah. Um, which feel like I wasn't resenting watching this movie, but I feel like it, and you know, and it's not because it is, it is a low budget, but like it, there's, I feel like always there, even though that's very much the ethos of this is that like we, we rate all these things as they exist, as they are. Yeah. Um, lack of, lack of truly perilous, um, sinkhole 
I think is what kind of seals it from me being able to take it up past the twos. Yeah. Um, the, like the the painting a painting an uh, a, a cataclysmic disaster out of a very manageably you know albeit tragic manageably sized sinkhole over the French Quarter. The like trying to really trying to sell me on how much Brittany Daniel was in danger by like doing some like camera depth of field tricks with how far the ground was below her. But then it would do wide shots where it was very obvious the ground was right below her. It was like, guys, this isn't, this isn't a disaster in the way you're telling me it's a disaster, despite the fact that it is a disaster. Um, But it, it, it's, it, yeah, it's the fallout from what was happening was far too close to like what real world is. Uh, without an actual follow through on an epic movie scale disaster level, so and you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, well, I'm gonna go one and a half. Yeah, I um, I just opened up what our mega fault ratings were because mega fault is yeah, that's really our low, that's really our low flying, our lowest flying flag on that. Yeah, one. but the thing is, is that in retrospect, as I think back on it and I compare it to this. I enjoyed Megafault in its own weird, wonderful ways so much more because there were so many things like Megafault had an outhouse being blown up as a distraction. It really did. And that fault just kept growing. Yeah. It really did take up most of America. And Brittany Murphy, like a just desperately grabbing onto the sides of the Jeep as she's being airlifted out of it and Eric LaSalle drives off to his death. And gave it her all. It just gave it her all. Uh Uh-huh. Um, there was some real, there was some like, things Like, do we need it. to retroactively re-rate Megafall? So that's kind of my thing, is, like, I, yeah. we gave it a real low rating, but comparatively, like, I want to give this, like, a one and a half. Yeah, and it not, and it wasn't I, as good as Megafall. It was not exactly. as good as So yeah. that's my thing, is, like, this is actually, I think it'll be fun to start to revisit and look back at, like, comparatively, things like that, because, yeah, I would, if you had me watch them side by side, I would definitely rate Megafault higher than this. Yeah. Um, because... It wasn't, there was nothing, there were very few moments in it where I was like, that, that stick out to me in a way that with Megafault, you could be like, oh yeah, I remember the outhouse disaster. Oh, or yeah. that, the family fighting in the RV and then like the X-Men chopper lands in front of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just, I, I think what, what we're learning here is that Megafault is better than we said it was. Yeah. And the, this hole in the ground movie is as good as we thought Megafault was. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think when that's I, a fair we, we, we are not overly, we are not generally, as a rule, we are not overcritical of the made-for-TV stuff. We gave Earth Catastrophe, what, like four, four and a half fucking stars? We, like, gave, Earth, I, like, we gave Earth Catastrophe a lot of stars. Yeah, towering infernos, rather. Like, yeah. Yeah, we, we are we are taking these movies on their level. Yeah. But I think what this might Fire Twister, we gave Fire... In, Fire Twister, Jordan. We I gave three and three and three quarters, and you gave three and a half for Fire Twister. It's like, what I'm saying. Yeah, we we will. It was Fire from Below, um, <laughs> an airplane versus volcano. We gave Stonados. We gave uh, I gave it. You, you and I both gave it three. Jordan, Jason gave it one because Jason <laughs> hater. Yeah. Hello. But, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be a one and a half towering infernos for me. Yeah, it's and, a one and a half. It, and and I, it could have been so much more. It, and that's the thing, it could have been more. It could have been more. It had more potential. I, again, cannot say enough about the finale sequence of John Corbett running through tunnels being chased by foam. Yeah. Like, highly recommend. Probably, I would say, Divas, if you were of a mind to watch this, if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, really, watch the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie. Watch the last half hour of this movie, just with the background that, hey, FYI, New Orleans is on a series of sinkholes. Then watch the run of it. You d- you don't actually need to, it'll fill in the rest. 
Yeah. So if you just want to see those sinkhole parts and have the experience of that, it's worth it. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm right there with you, Jordan. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us into uh, what we're watching next week. And that is, we've got another guest host, you guys. It's our October surprise. It's just nothing but guest hosts. Yeah. Um, it's exciting. So coming up next week, we have Dustin Groak or Grawick or Groak. I'll be honest, I don't know how to say his last name because I only ever read it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, But Dustin, he works for the American Museum of Natural History in New York, um, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the foremost of naturalist museums that are based out of New York. It's very very exciting. It is. It is actually. I'm really excited about this. And he's coming on to talk Jurassic Park with us. Yeah, this is good stuff. Like, so, this is this is this is like this is like asking Mika McKinnon about an earthquake. Yeah, like, Dustin. Uh, he's I, I believe he does like the basically the comms. Uh, especially he's like their dinosaur comms guy. Um, <laughs> he basically exists, dream job for Amanda. It honestly like he he gets to talk about dinosaurs all day long, and he gets to see bones. And I just it's so, he gets to see bones. They the, the the Naturalist Museum has a place called the Bone Room, and I desperately want to go into it. And I he's told me I am not allowed, and I'm very upset about that. Oh, so, okay, off limits. We're gonna have to work on that with him when he comes on. But he's gonna come on to talk with us about Jurassic Park, uh, which is one of the the finest of all I would say animal disaster films. Um oh. Without question. Yeah, like just going to go out on a limb here and argue that one. Uh-huh. Um, so we've got that coming up next week. And uh, Jurassic Park, in case you don't own it on DVD, which why wouldn't you? Right, really. Uh, that is going to be located. You can find it on Amazon. You can rent that pretty much anywhere. Um, and no, we're not doing Jurassic World. I boycotted Jurassic World. We can get into that during our Jurassic Park episode. Uh-huh. It's Jurassic Park, the classic. So that's next week. So that'll be super exciting. Everybody put on your best Dr. Ellie Sadler cosplay and let's do this thing. Oh. Hell yeah. Clever girls are disaster divas. <laughs> regardless, regardless of gender, regardless of identification, we are all clever girls. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see you all back next week for oh, that. Oh, shall we do our shall we do our sign-off? Yes, yes. Sorry. I, yeah. I was again I I'm got a a, a Joe a, we shall be phone banking, so I've got my Joe. Biden phone bank popped up. Right. Um, yes. J- Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. On the old Patreon at patreon.com slash cruciola. And at the moment, you can find me co-hosting a podcast all about the movie A Simple Favor called A Simple Podcast. Uh, recent episodes mm-hmm. up do include a long, long sit-down talks with uh, director Paul Feig, writer-director Paul Feig, and uh, costume designer Renee Ehrlich-Kalfas. And coming up, we've also got one from uh, co-writer Jessica Scharzer, uh, who wrote the original screenplay. So we just can't stop bringing you the hits. It's a great podcast. I love it. You guys have such a good time doing it, and it's so fun. It's so fun We really do. Yeah, strong recommend. Jessica Scharzer is a writer who I know at one point was attached to a project that I was very curious about, but I don't think ever was public. And it's always a thing where like, should I ever meet her? I really want to ask her about. She's a very nice person. So I, I, if you would like me to ask her for you, I will, I will send along a quick cue. (laughs) Sure. No, I, I, yeah, I don't think it was ever public. So maybe she doesn't have to talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's something that I'm curious about. Uh, And Jason, where can we find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones. It's all it's all comics and rants. Yeah, <laughs> two things we truly love: comics and rants. <laughs> Um, and then I am Amanda R. Tubbs, uh, Tubbs with two B's and two B's and, uh, yeah, I guess like the only thing I have to promote is vote and volunteer for Joe Biden and, uh, dear God, please, we need to have this election go well. Um, so (laughs) please find it in yourself to like phone bank or text bank or just, harass your family and friends into voting for Joe Biden, I guess. Definitely harass. Like, harassment is... Yeah. Harassment works. Social social pressures work. Bullying works. <clears throat> um, so... Yeah, here's the thing. When, like, I've been using Facebook as the platform to just, like, scream into the ears yeah. of every conservative I know that back in my home state of Utah. It, yeah. it is the platform for it. And the thing that I've uh, kept in mind is that the people who are vocally opposing you aren't necessarily the people who uh, it's it's really for. It's the people who are seeing it and not really saying anything. Yeah. Uh, those are those are the people who are the most on the fence. And I think that's the the, the section where it does the most good. So even when you meet opposition, uh, you know, use use facts, use proof, use research. Uh, and uh, just remember that there are people who aren't saying anything that are uh, being influenced by it. Yep. I love it. Okay, guys, and we'll see you all back next week when we do Jurassic Park. See you guys then. Have fun revisiting this classic in the meantime. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know.